Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. All right. Welcome back, audience. Season three of the Know Their Story podcast. I uh, I won't butcher it like I did last week because we've been off uh, taking a hiatus from recording. Uh, this is the portion where I would kick it over to uh, the esteemed Dustin Sweet. Having trouble doing that because he's having some technical issues with with getting onto the internet in lovely Taos, New Mexico. Uh, so I can I can give a pause and we can pretend he's saying something witty, or we'll just move on. Um, yeah, <laughs> got a, a great episode coming up today. Our guest served in the United States Army from uh, 1987 until 2012, serving on both Desert Shield and Operation Just Cause. Uh, I did ask if he was the one who played ACDC uh, for Noriega. Uh, unfortunately, not. That that would be a job where if they came to me and like, Marlena, I need you to blast ACDC all day. I'd be like, I'm your man. <laughs> um, but he was a logistics quarter. I gotta, I gotta talk slower. Logistics quartermaster, third battalion, eighty second artillery, uh, which is underneath under the first cav. Please welcome Sergeant Keith uh, Smithson. Did I get that right? Yes, it is Smithson. Yes. Second week in a row where I forgot to clear last name pronunciation. <laughs> so, but thank you for joining us today, Keith. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So, especially. Uh, I know you got a busy week. We're talking that you're in the middle of finals uh, for your students. And is is it are finals more stressful for instructors or for students? <laughs> well, well, they would they talk that much. I'm the student. So it's <laughs> <Okay>. stressful for me. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yes, I'm not the instructor. I look like the instructor, but I'm actually the student. As soon as I said that, I was like, you know what? I probably should have checked on that. <laughs> so but uh, I guess that answers the question on if they're stressful for you. We won't uh, we won't keep you. We'll get you let you get back to studying today. Right. So um, this is where I joke that Dustin has the honorary first question of each episode. Uh, he's not going to be able to ask it, so I will. Uh, can you go ahead and let us know how did you come to join our United States Army? I grew up in a real small town, rural Virginia, um, three thousand people, two stoplights. Everyone knows everyone. Um, I had a brother-in-law that was in the army, so I went with him to work and just all of a sudden I liked what he was doing. He was actually a supply sergeant. So I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, initially wanted to join the Air Force. The recruiter would not talk to me because I was not a senior in high school. So the army recruiter came along, um, made fun of him. Oh, I'm not going in the army, this and that. And came home, mom and dad loved him. So I joined in my senior year of high school, the late entry program. and I got that was nothing to do with my hometown long story short yeah I mean it's funny we two of the guys in our documentary Ed Beale and Craig Jorgensen both went to join the United States Marines mm-hmm. they're signing up for the Marines you know I got the, the the dress blues and and everything and um in both cases the uh Marine recruiting office was closed for lunch and the army recruiter was like you want to join them come on over here exactly <laughs> so just just funny the way things work out yes um 
so you, you you get into the army you know head off do you do your basic um how you know how long was it until you know you, you found yourself in just cause or or what was kind of your path through there pretty much a year and a half later on first airplane out to fort Leonardwood, missouri uh fort lost in the woods misery did basic training came back home to virginia about an hour from where i grew up fort lee petersburg uh had guaranteed station of choice right off the bat to fort hood texas got there um hung out played games in the field every week it seems like every week uh just calls came up they attached me to 411th military police company or oh, 89th military police brigade and that's when i deployed down in it was early 89 i want to say january february 1989 i deployed down to panama with an mp unit yeah and, and, you know and i remember i mean i remember the news coverage of it and you know that was kind of our first kind of i don't want to use like known intervention since since Vietnam and it seemed like stateside there was kind of the the of like oh you know this is a walk in the park like we're the U.S. and we're just going to go down and and like no, no intervention where you're sending in the military is a walk in the park ACDC aside um like what was it giving a firsthand account for people who think that was, you know, surfing and, and fun. Like, what was it like getting in? in it, to me, that? it was a street fight as compared to Desert Shield Storm. It was actually, um, I don't know what we necessarily trained for. When I went to basic training, I was taught, uh, trained to fight communists. Okay, that was the mindset at that time. You know, Russia was a big threat. And lo and behold, I got there and it was like, I'm in a street fight, I'm with military police. So my supply training, pretty much took place with field artillery. We go out to the field, we sit around, they shoot, I play cards. <laughs> you know, now I didn't shoot. However, it was a different atmosphere and um, I actually lost a friend there, uh, incoming small arms fire. So it, it definitely touched like, hey, this is a reality. This is not, this is not a game anymore. This is not yeah. a college fund. Yeah, we, we don't send the United States military in for, uh, right. you know, yeah. The diplomacy failed somewhere in there. Yes. A show of force, but definitely um, had been on the ground. It's a lot different from signing the order to send you there, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I just got a notification. Dustin has hopefully solved his issues. Let's, I'm going to admit him, but we'll just keep talking while uh, we okay. find out if he actually has audio. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, it is. I mean, we may be a bigger, more superior military force. That doesn't mean there aren't people there who don't want us there, <laughs> exactly. are willing to fight for that. Yeah. All right. The million dollar question. Dustin, can you hear me? Can us? you hear me? <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. We have the technology. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. <laughs> to quote Batman in the Lego movie, first try. First try. <laughs> <laughs> so to catch you up, we were just talking about Operation Just Cause and that no matter what the uh, media coverage was like, it wasn't just a uh, a walk in the park down there. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no business like show business, right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that's an interesting, that's an interesting mission because, uh, there's so many eyes on it and, and it, you know, uh, much like what's going on in Ukraine right now, uh, you can't tell civilians with small arms that you're going to go do a thing 
if they don't want you to, it's going to be a party and uh, not everybody likes that kind of party. <laughs> so, yeah, a, uh, a inferior military forces bullet hurts just as much as a superior <laughs> military forces bullet. Yes. So uh, how long were you were you there? I mean, just four months, pretty much, roughly. Okay. So you've been in the army, you know, relative to your career, a, a very short time, gone two, down two, to the street fight, lost a friend. Mm -hmm. Now you're back. Like, what was that transition like for you to come back? I mean, obviously you stayed in the army, but to come back from that and to have, you know, a, a stateside civilian population that didn't really follow what happened or care or think it was that big a deal because it was just it really was um it really was was not a transition um i don't know if that's because i was attached to another unit i mean pretty much um dustin i went over as a supply clerk attached to a military police unit i'm assigned to a field artillery unit at fort hood so when i got by it's like hey four day weekend see you tuesday and wow. it wasn't like when you come back as a unit deployment you know you sit down you go through debrief you go through physical you go through whatever you need to go through that was nothing i mean i took four days i'm 19 20 years old and yeah you can imagine what i did i had a great time you know <laughs> but i was clear-headed on tuesday morning <laughs> so yeah that's all that mattered at the time but um yeah did, did they give you that deployment bonus check right away or kind of make no sure? that was no um i mean i think i got a archon or something all the deployment and that was pretty much it so wow. you know Wow, I don't so then, remember the tax thing at that time, to be honest with you. I know for later on, that was a tax exempt for Desert Shield, but for Panama, I don't even remember that taking place. Maybe I was just too young to care. Yeah. <laughs> the government uh, eagle dropped an egg in your bank account. And <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, okay. So your debrief was take four days to get your head straight, be here Tuesday, huh? Yeah, pretty much because I once I got back, I didn't know anyone at that unit except the ones I had been with at that time. So, I mean, pretty much I was a lone wolf. I was on my own. You know, I didn't belong to them. The deployment was over, so that was it. Later on, like I said, I got a um, Arcom and a shotgun envelope. <laughs> that was it. The unit that you went over to, had they been deployed or were they a stateside unit? That was a stateside unit out of Fort Hood. 89th MP Brigade had um, 401st, 410th, and 411th MP companies. So okay. I, was, I went with 411th. Did you... And obviously you're meeting people for the first time, but as someone who had been deployed, was that, I mean, we talked to the guys from Vietnam who said, you know, they went to Europe and answering to lieutenants who, I mean, obviously Vietnam's, you know, that was the thing of the day, but they had a hard time answering to lieutenant who'd been sitting in Germany while, you know, and never deployed while they were in Vietnam for a year. And not saying it's to that extent, like it was in the seventies, but was there even a little bit of a goal for that for you or just no because this was my first deployment just cause was my first deployment so i had no idea except i'm on loan to you this is who i report to and that's pretty much it i, right. to report, I was a pfc e3 so i report to the supply sergeant whatever he told me to do that's what i did just like in the other unit but i didn't look at um i, I wasn't really worried even when the friend got shot because it was kind of a I don't want to say a freak accident, but it was kind of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, he took small arms fire. So, I mean, I didn't really feel that I didn't directly see it. So it didn't directly affect me. I mean, of course, we were all aware of it, 
but that was never a big um that was never a big event surrounding that, I guess you say. Yeah. So then you know you have a little bit of time to to chill in the army and then desert shield comes along and that that was a bigger <laughs> that the media treated a bit differently i mean that was um i, I remember uh, my wife actually her uncle was um he was one of the first fighter uh, squadrons that was sent over there and she vividly remembers him coming back from that um, out at Fairchild but you know you, you you've been deployed before the orders are coming in you're going back like what what is your thought process on your second deployment to a different conflict in a different part of the world at a at a different age yeah you have some more life experience maturity uh recognition of your mortality that you don't have in your 20s <laughs> it was crazy and i have to laugh because we were actually at um six flags outside dallas because it was like a, a unit organizational fund day and they made the big <laughs> announcement you know third battalion 82nd field artillery fort hood please report to the whatever we to get back on the bus and it was like what's wow. going on because as you all probably remember i mean when delta shield was kicking off august of 90 it was like it was a major event you know, it's yeah. like, in my opinion, at what, 20, 90, I was 21 years old. And it was like, whoa, this is it. And I had two brothers serving. So that's when they actually said, hey, you know, something about the soul surviving son. You all have an option to not do this, not do that. We were not at the same unit, but we all were like, you know what? We're going to do what we're supposed to do. But not to take anything away from anyone, but it just seems like when I went to Jess Calls, it was a, hey, you on loan, you're going with them for a few months. When I went to S.H.I.E.L.D., it was like, I felt this was something major. I mean, 21 years old, not knowing, I felt like it was an all-out war initially taking yeah. place. Were you still in supply? Yes, I was in supply the whole time. How was that How how was that ramp up? That seemed like, I mean, that's one of the things I remember thinking about as a, you know, as a kid in high school, what's that supply chain like? in order to get everything like like that's a huge undertaking what we did there and yes. and then in a place where there's not a lot of air support or you know i mean it's got problems right which i yeah, imagine all, you know more about we drove from fort hood down to houston texas galveston yeah. to the port and that's when you found out that maintenance was very important because my deuce and a half yeah we broke down you know different whatever case like most convoys you had the maintenance truck following you behind but we had to drive, I forget how many hours from Colleen, from Fort Hood to Houston, Galveston. But we drove everything down. Um, we railroaded. They had a team to railroad stuff on railroads and had stuff to put it into the ship, put it on aircraft, like you just mentioned. We weren't down for that process. That was like a, I guess you say a, um, a detail. Right. I was in supply. I was only myself and my boss. So I didn't get down details too much. I was lucky. You know, the, <laughs> the, the artillery guys, stuff like that. You got hundreds of those. Those are the ones who did all that. But I want to say it was, um, I don't want to say chaos, but the thing that happened with us, we were going through a change of command. So the, the battery commander knew he couldn't account for all his equipment. So it was a lucky break for him because everything got put on, like you said, aircraft, ships, so forth and so on. And it went across the pond. So now <laughs> we're over there. You got a real detachment back here. So pretty much the commander lost control of their equipment. So right, little right. small things that 
hey, where's this? Oh, it's in the Gulf. You know, <laughs> oh, it's here, it's there. With the time uh, difference, but you all can imagine, yeah, logistics. I mean, I was a small piece. I was a battery supply clerk. Right, but when right. you look at the overall moving three core and Fort Hood, 18th Alboro, yeah. all these different divisions, it was definitely major. Um, yeah, it was major to get the equipment there. And not to talk too much, Dave and Dustin, but what happened once we left, some of the equipment that was, I guess you said, getting older, may have had some maintenance issues here and there. That's the equipment we left in place. So therefore, the following deployments, as we know, went on for years, Dynacore managed that equipment. So it was easier to get a force that quicker and draw equipment from on site. Oh, cool. Yeah. Is the... Uh... The old supply and logistics uh, sergeant in you kind of laughing as you watch Russia break down like 40 miles into a neighboring country running out of gas and food. Yeah. Exactly. And here you managed to get stuff halfway around the world. <laughs> yeah. Might want to might want to prepare a little bit. I'll leave that alone, but <laughs> might want to fill up the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, so. a lot of socks to move. Yes. <laughs> So what is it or go ahead what was the most like what was the most what was the most requisition thing that that people asked you for during your time like what was the most sought after item there was um toilet tissue um that was pretty much it toilet paper kim lights acetate markers combat acetate you know because you had a lot of charts and things which i can only imagine what they're doing today but at that time everything was on paper so yeah your your plans and stuff was very important yeah, and you know that there is the phrase in the military: "Gear drift is a gift." Yeah, and uh, a lot of uh, you know, as as one of our guys, RB, called it, drug deals going on of trading equipment. As a supply guy, do you just kind of accept that and you know turn the other, or you know, what, what's that like? I just knew how to get pound cakes. <laughs> you know, I knew how to get my leave for them when I get back to the stage, push through because you need me. You know, yeah, I might just be old supply weenie, but at the end of the day, you, when you can't run to Walmart and Target, you <laughs> we're in that environment. You need me, buddy. Yep. I mean, yeah, you um, and then we went downtown. You know, a lot of stuff we brought on the economy. Of course, we had credit cards to able to go out and buy local stuff because obviously, um, I wasn't familiar with a supply requisition system from Kuwait back to you know Saudi Arabia about the year. So, right. Yeah. Um, I imagine the paperwork in the army for stuff like that is, um, voluminous. <laughs> yes, yes. Because, you know, as you are, I mean, you have, um, what do you call it? Expendable, which is like, we just mentioned toilet tissue, this and that. Okay. It's where it's, if you use it up using whatever, then you have a non-expendable, which is obviously the objects that you have to keep accountability. But what a lot of people don't understand, even those expendable items, you still got to account for them. You know, yeah. 500 rolls of toilet tissue. Where, where did he go? You know, so uh, the latrines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's on the colonel's front yard in this tree. He's not exactly. Excited about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So to, to give our, our uh, civilian listeners kind of, and I know this isn't an exact question that could be answered, but the scope the scope of moving an army around like that like you you know most people obviously we know we need to get the tanks over there and we need to get the airplanes all of the other stuff like how much how much toilet paper or or just um 
like the food to feed an army like that what kind of scale are we talking on I, I don't know numbers but i know we had a basic load plan that everyone followed um for example supply had a two and a half ton truck which was a call to deuce and a half m35 a2 and we we loaded it we put the canvas on the back the tarp um everything that was in the supply room everything that was in the connects in the motor pool it went on the back of vehicles um those vehicles as we said went on navy ships well actually that's when i found out the army had ships seventh group fort eustace um and they took a lot of our equipment and the air force the army we all got together and the stuff flew and like i said it got there we went to the port i believe it was um one said daharan we picked it up from the port and we started driving through the desert on the free uh interstate whatever you want to call it the highway <laughs> and pretty much like i said everything was there when it came to some things like sensitive items, like night vision goggles, things like that, that was a real attachment that the commander would get back. And it seems a day like get back in contact. Why didn't you just tweet him? No, as you all know, that wasn't possible. Was but when he had, I think they call it the Mars phone system, where yeah. you talk, you let it repeat, blah, blah, blah. Those commanders yeah. would have access to call back and say, hey, send us here, send us there. But it definitely was a process, weeks and months, getting stuff that you left behind. Wow. It was critical to be on top of your game and take what you need. Um, yeah, my uh, my daughters are, they just, yeah, age 15, cannot wrap their minds around the fact that uh, there was no there was no internet when I started <laughs> college. I remember, like, the internet, like, oh, my God, what is this thing? We can play games? Mm -hmm. like, and, of course, that's the first thing at college, like, oh, games. Yep, um, <laughs> yeah, and that... Uh, you know, there was no, like, what do you mean there's no cell phones? Like, yeah, like, yeah. And it, it's not, it's not like today where you just, like you said, send a tweet and like, hey, I need this stuff. <laughs> What's the point? We get so used to it too. Like my mom was coming to visit me like 2006 in Oakland and, and she's like, my phone's running out of power. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll meet you at the BART station at two o'clock. We just, and she's like, well, how do we do that? And I'm like, mom, we did this like my whole life. Like we're going to figure <laughs> yeah. there's clocks there's places we'll meet there or even dust and i when we we're in new orleans last week and had to drive up to to natchez mississippi and you know just plugged the address into our map you know into oh, our phone man. and went we were talking about how when we drove around the country for the movie like man can you imagine doing this with just thomas guides <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> exactly. looking up the grid coordinates and mm -hmm. yeah i, I want to go find an old thomas guide to show my girls like okay I, I want you to find this address just just for the laughs maybe i'll record it right exactly <laughs> so um but you said you mentioned you were over at desert shield for 18 months mm -hmm. uh when you came home um you still were or in the army for quite a while um yes but um, for the podcast, we like to talk about that transition back to civilian life. Mm -hmm. But actually, I'll, I'll pause. 18 months in, in Iraq has got to be a little different than four months in Panama. Was that a different feeling coming home? Well, it was different. But Dave, what happened was I was there from September of 90 until March of 91 as part of the shield and storm. I'm about to Fort Hood, Texas. Um, my time was up in the Army. So I called up to Pentagon. thought I was going to make friends and said, um, what can you offer me? They said F1, Army needs. 
So they said Kuwait, something and something. I want to say Fort Bragg, Fort something else. I was like, Kuwait, they started laughing in the background, like, hey, we gotta gotta go. I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is interesting, <laughs> but that was actually one of the best kept secrets because what happened once I was there, a so-called permanent assignment, I had a half of a trailer to myself, um, TV, VCR, which was luxury at that time, the penthouse. So yeah, it, it was not, um, the war had so-called ended then. As you all know, it ended around March, but because I was supply, I was advanced party to get back and get barracks set up for the troops coming by. Um, to answer your question, transitioning by, once again, that was no, I remember landing at Fort Hood in the gym. The LT's wife had beer for everyone. Um, just pretty much one beer out the cooler she gave us. Uh, we had a big ceremony. I jumped in my vehicle right away, leaving Fort Hood, leaving Texas, driving to Virginia. Um, got to North Texas, Kilgore outside of Dallas, flipped over a few times, told lost the vehicle. They came out, it had nothing to do with alcohol or anything. I mean, the one beer, I was way long sober after that. It's just the time difference, the excitement. Um, you know, we all know when you come back from something like that, you need a, it's a nine hour, seven or eight hour time difference. Your right, mind right. is, adrenaline is flowing. You're not thinking smart. Um, it's something that for life, for the years I did, it's not a fear, but it's an awareness when I go places. Um, I don't sit with my bike to a door. Mm -hmm. I'm very vigilant on things in my community, my neighborhood. I mean, I'm, they call me the neighborhood watch here because you leave your garage open, I'm going to text you. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's an experience that I'm a lot older now, but at that young age, I want to say that was not a lot of guidance or if that the guidance was given, but I didn't listen. And we probably have learned from that because now instead of just saying, hey, promise me you're not going nowhere tonight. No, we make sure you don't go nowhere for a few days. I know my son came back and he had a very long debrief process. So yeah, it was it was nice to get back to your freedom, but I didn't know how to handle the freedom at the time. So yeah, that is you know, like you said, they had an eight or nine hour time difference. Um, it's not like you flew home first class either on M radies or anything. No. <laughs> Tower airlines, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. So I remember clearing a lot of uh, the military flights and customs, and they definitely make use of the space that is provided. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it that way for a visual for people. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but as, so after you get out of the army, like what did you transition to uh, as a civilian? What was what was your path? That, that was a hard. Um, that's definitely a story because um, military, I. Answer questions the right way when it came to um, use of alcohol. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, when I filled out the questionnaire about alcohol use, I knew the right blocks to check. I knew what not to say, what to say. And I was a functioning alcoholic to leave it at that. So I retired 2012. I um, got a civilian job. Take a little nip every morning, a little nip at lunch. After, did very good in that job. Uh, finally, one day I just decided, hey, this is not me anymore. So I um, continued with the drinking, had nothing to do now besides drink and cook all day. Um, about four years ago, I completely gave that up. And now I work out every morning. Um, I'm in school, as you know, full time. So pretty much I would say you got to have a purpose because for me, my day, I was getting pat on the back for my service. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
But once again, I was managing that. Um, I, I thought I was managing alcohol, but it was managing me. And my family could definitely see it. Um, you know, never a late bill, never a what do you call it, domestic issue with the family. But in other ways, it was killing me inside, uh, my health and things like that. So it was one of those things that once you walk away, you got to keep that band of brothers. You got to keep that person you reach out to. It doesn't have to be the movies we see on TV that's so dramatic. It can just be a simple text in the morning. Hey, how's it going? Have a good day. And if I don't hear from Dave today, it's like, oh, hey, man, I, I text you. It didn't send. Okay, I'm just checking on you. And those little things, um, that's what keeps me accountable now. I have all the time in the world to drink if I won't have no desire to. Um, I work out every morning regardless of weather. I'm not in Spokane or New Mexico, though, so I, mean, I do got to, you know. But I mean, it's just say like, the transition, um, you get used to a lifestyle. And there's a lot of great things that you can take away from that lifestyle, the fitness, the mental stability. But what I would say to anyone, like I said to my boys, it's okay to share. It's okay to be real with people. It's okay to show a weakness, if you want to call it that. It's actually strong to speak up and say you need help with something. Yeah, and and wanna, you know, something he said. It, it, having worked for the government, I I always knew. I mean, there are. It, it's such a monolith that you are. You know, if you say the wrong thing it's going to get telephoned up the line till they think, oh my God, like, you know, it, and it usually can be more career crippling than career helping if, if you admit anything. Um, and like you're saying, you know, the, the right answers to say on the boxes. And this is probably going to be more of a thought exercise because obviously the three of us aren't going to solve the army's problems in the span of one podcast. Um, uh, you know, maybe, know. maybe, 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 you know, the simplest solutions sometimes are the best, but it seems to be that catch 22 of the army tries to help, but it's also a massive bureaucracy. Um, I remember one of our guys, Jim Brown was saying when they came back from Vietnam, you know, they're asking the questions, but everyone, you know, you're just in Vietnam for a year and they want to go home. So everyone's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And then the army looks at me like, you said you were okay. Um, how are ways that we can bridge that gap of, you know, the army I know is trying. They're, they actually are trying very hard. Uh, Fort Hood, you know, where we talked about, they, they have, you know, they, they have a wellness program and they have the pillars of, of good living and, and transit. So they're t- I give them credit. They are trying. They recognize there's a problem. But if you were talking to army, you know, people in the army running these programs or veterans, like any suggestions on ways that we can bridge that gap to be able to talk about problems we're having well serving rather than I believe I believe that it's being addressed completely now. I mean, in reality, because once again, I had three sons to serve after I got out. One is still serving. And some of the things that they told me, I'm like, what? Because I'm what they call one of those dinosaur leaders. I mean, I leave from the front, a still on target, this and that. But I've seen things that um, 
my sons have gone through. I've seen things that they've been exposed to. I've seen realistic stand down days, you know, not keep your phone on so I can reach you, not this, not that. I've seen people be able to speak up with mental health or with a concern and not be stigmatized. Um, have they made E8 or E9? I have no idea because I have no need to track them. However, I believe the mental health for all of us now, as just as a citizen, we realize reality. You know, whether it's in a school environment, whether it's in a job, whether it's in the military, I think people now are very much taking it seriously. So I believe that the newer leaders, the new regime, are definitely tackling these problems. You know, military is made up of society. So, yes, we're going to have the problems that come in, but how we address right. them is definitely how it's going to impact others. So, are we uh, fail safe, 100% perfect now? Military, we, we all know the answer to that is not true. But those of us on here, everyone else, we just got to know how we address the problem and not just as you say, okay, hey, I got a phone call just now, check one, two, three. I did my job as a leader. You know, I'm done. No, we need to follow up. We need to go beyond the black and white rule book and show some heart, show some concern. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hard, right? Because we're talking about, you know, we're talking about the army, right? You're going to lose some of those guys. Mm -hmm. and so there's a real, there's a real piece there where you want to, you know, keep everybody kind of at arm's length. So you, you love them, but you, you know, there's only so much you can deal with because they could right. just be gone in, in, in an instant. So mm -hmm. uh, it's an interesting problem to, to fight with yes sure. yeah and i like what you're saying it's not just you know one way to go about it it's not a form that you go down um i mean as a, a comical aside we we follow the randall wallace school of filmmaking of every down moment has to have an upbeat moment um my wife's company i won't say which one because i'm gonna that they might misconstrue what I'm saying. Um, they decided to do, um, they're an auditing company. Um, they decided to kind of come up with forms to help walk people through the audits and, and try and find a more standardized way to do it. And they called them smart docs. And I was like, those are dumb docs. Like, because all they're going to do is make your people dumber. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, cause they're going to be like, I checked off the boxes and, uh, She's like, I'm being told to do it. I'm like, it's just, I'm going to wait. And now a couple of years later, some of their higher ups are complaining or people don't seem to be able to problem solve as well. I'm like I have a theory. Yeah, <laughs> you, right. you don't want to hear it. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it is. It's, you know, even for customs, we're talking about uh, 40,000 armed officers and other 10,000, you know, whatever the numbers are now today, probably unfortunately less than when I was in. Um, you're talking about an agency of 50,000 people spread out not only across this country, but in Europe and in, you know, South America and every single person that I talked to cared and wanted to do the best. But when you start putting it all together, it just became a massive, just money wasting. Like <laughs> it's, it's really weird to look at on the ground. Everyone's trying their best, put it all together. It's a total inefficient bloated mess. Um, and now you're talking about the military with bases, how, you know, almost everywhere. And, 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 and when, you, when you look at that, I mean, unfortunately I came in in the yell curse scream or that, you know, you do what the hell I say when I say it, you don't ask questions, this and that. But as I became a leader, it took a while for me to realize that 
your trust, your respect for me, you respect me as a man, as an individual, okay? That gives me a lot more leeway, a lot more accountability with you, a lot more leadership ability than because I'm E5, because I'm E6. So for me, I had to learn and I love talking. So I had to actually sit back sometimes, let other people talk and observe from afar to see this is a way to lead. Because when you look back at it, I recruited 16 out of those 25 years. Very few people joined the army because someone truly made them, you know, because all oh, day was guaranteed. We don't even do to go on, go to army or go to jail anymore. So when you sit here, this young soldier wanted to be here. So if you as a leader, let them come to you. Oh, I don't care. Do this. No, what's really going on? Talk to me. Oh, but nobody cares because I failed my fitness test. Why would you feel that way? You know, if you let them sit down and share nine times out of 10, I won't say nine out of 10 because I'm in statistics right now. So let's not go there. <laughs> but I would say majority of the time, that person like, you know what? I would love to stay in the army, but I just can't do da, da, da. So, I mean, I don't think the military, I know the military is not filled with bad people. It's just some leaders don't take the time to listen to what's really going on. Yes, there are some. Go ahead and shake their hand. Thank you for your year or two. Let them do what they want to do. But everyone chose freely. So for the most part, they want to be there. Yeah. And even if they're leaving out for that one or two, let's do the right thing and get them the benefits and what they have earned. Yeah. It's uh, no draft anymore. <laughs> what was that, Dustin? Well, I said, just if you can't leverage the guys wanting to be there, then you're doing something super wrong, right? Like, mm -hmm. like if, you know, I, I mean, I can speak for myself. When I want to be doing something, man, I'm all in. I'm up early. I'm, I'm there. You know, you exactly. were talking earlier about um, purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, when uh, one of the things the military provides in a really nice way is this exterior purpose of, of providing safety and security for our country, right? And they're kind of like large ideas for one kid to wrap his head around but but they are those ideas and that that is what all those guys are following and uh exactly it's 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 an important piece man mm -hmm. yeah and you know there's the old adage it's it's cheaper to keep an employee than to hire a new one as someone who works recruiting like what what's the breakdown like in terms of the number of people who walk through the door compared to the number of people who actually sign the dotted line compared to the number of people who actually then make it through basic, mm -hmm. like what's, what's the attrition rate? I mean, that's, that's gotta be a grind and a hustle. I, I left in 12, my son's recruiting right now in Minneapolis battalion, but I will say before I left out of recruiting command, one out of about 244 people actually qualify to join. Wow. Okay. We have to understand that there are a lot of things that, we weren't treated for that people are treated for these days. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of exposure to things going on that can cause a reaction, can cause this, can cause that. Um, so one out of 244 who actually say that I want to do this, it's my lifelong passion, will qualify. Now, as far as what you were saying, once, once they get in, I don't know how many wash out because another thing we were dealing with was um, uh, the basic training. Um, very, very, very doable these days. However, if you're not a person that's been moving a lot growing up, just like with us as retirees or veterans, whatever we are, you don't move a lot, things start stiffening up. You start getting injuries when you go back out, you know, the season kicks off. So when you look at the injuries, you look at the, um, they have done a great job. In fact, I just talked to my son last week. We have something on live scan 
So they have done a great job of like back in our day, hey, you know, you got away from the cops for a few weeks, they find out you at Fort Jackson, they come to get you. So the moral things are pretty much over and done with now. Those are brought out before you ever sign on dotted line. Um, the medical, they just revamped something to actually um, request people's medical, medical records, irregardless. Whereas in my days, it was like, if you said, hey, I played football, okay, I need your medical records. Now, it's pretty much a blanket. So it's very hard to put someone into the military. I can't speak for the military, but I can speak for the Army. Um, the attrition rate, I would say, is getting a lot less than what it used to be. Because once again, the moral is gone, the medical is gone, for the most part. You don't wait until you get down to Fort Benning's 110 to find out you got asthma, like it used to. You know, yeah. they knew you had it, so you're not getting in, whatever the case. And I don't want to throw out asthma because there are things that you can get a, a waiver exception for. So I don't want someone to listen and say, hey, that guy said asthma. That's not what I'm saying. But to answer your question, attrition rate has gotten a lot less. But also, um, I think that's a concern about the propensity to want to serve. Yeah. You know, how many of us grow up to say, hey, I want to be like Uncle Dave. He was this, he was that. I, I don't know. I think the propensity to serve is leaving a lot of people. And it's propensity for how much money I get for college. You know, what kind of bonus? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know Seattle, they fired hundreds of officers over the last couple of years between defund and, and VAC status. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, my screen just went weird. Um, but now they're like, oh, my gosh, that might have been a mistake. Let's hire more officers. And I'm like, ah, that's easier said than done these days. Like you're going to have to go find those recruits. <laughs> People ask me what I let, what I let my daughters be in law enforcement. I'm like, well, there's no let they, they are their own people. Exactly. Uh, my daughters can do what they want, but mm -hmm. yes, I would have a very long counseling, you know, heart to heart with them mm -hmm. about that. Um, and it is, it is a different I, I totally agree with you a different generation in terms of viewing service and and, and stuff like that um something that has to be broken through a little and and part of that could be there is as the years have gone by more of definitely a split track of you know we've been at war for 20 years and it hasn't really affected many people's lives outside of the military um you know, it's, it's hard to, it, it, it's weird to think about. Like we were in the Middle East for 20 years actively at war. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I got to take a drink. My voice is going. Dustin, you're up. <laughs> Keith, uh, how are you enjoying uh, being a college student? Oh, I'm enjoying <laughs> it, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have fun because, because of the, um, the, the life experience is one thing. Um, I will say I've learned to appreciate though youth for the simple fact. Yeah. Um, I have the discipline. If you tell me an assignment is due Friday, I'm gonna do it Monday. Yeah. Reason being, I gotta fight technology, I gotta fight PDF, MS Word, everything else. They wanna jump on my bike. Whereas a lot of my classmates, you know, they have the ability to come in tonight and log on at 9:30, submit it before midnight. And I used to complain and talk about it, but I realized when I do have an issue, I'm able to go on Messenger and say, hey, you know, can you send me a video, show me how to do this? Yeah. So I'm enjoying the experience. Um, of course, I talk in class because sociology is a lot of, you know, racial, ethnic, gender, different things that I've experienced to say, hey, I'm, I'm aware of this. I'm, I know what redlining is, for example. Um, 
you know, different things. So it's been a great experience. Um, I've made a lot of friends because even though I don't think I know what I'm doing, for some reason, people <laughs> want to chat with me on Zoom. They want to, and yeah. I've been maintaining what a 3.8. So I'm really enjoying it. Nice. Excellent. Uh, ha having come from the military, though, where uh, the language is a bit looser, mm -hmm. what is it like in the, the college environment is pretty tight on language these days, should I say? Yeah, and I mean, I've definitely, that... like I said, had to learn on, um, thank God I went sociology because I've had to learn a lot of things that I thought was a joke or not a joke. A lot of things you said to a person because, oh, you know, that's my boy used to be in the army. No, no, no. That's. You know, if you and me talking offline on the campus one-on-one, -on -one, but sitting in the classroom saying something that because two veterans think it's funny in a class with 90 people, it's just not, it's not good vibes. So I've learned to um, be myself, but I've learned to respect any and everyone else, whether they believe what I believe or not. I've learned you're your individual and it doesn't make you wrong. That, that's, if that's anything I've learned out of four years of college, that's, that's my biggest takeaway is what you feel it's just different because you were raised different from me. It does not mean you're wrong. Going in, coming out the military, man, what the, you crazy, you know, because I, I had my belief. I'm an old country boy, and I believe this is the way things should be. Right. So. Yeah, I am um, surrounded, and Dustin's surrounded by, he's the only, only male in his house as well with daughters. And my daughters are freshmen now, and you know, they'll come home and be like, oh my God, this guy said this, you know, one of the boys said this to the other boys. And I'm just like, <laughs> classic. And then I noticed that my wife and daughters are staring at me in horror. And I'm like, um, that's kind of the way guys talk. And the more I talk, they realize, I realize I can't defend this. So I'm going to stop. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, a, a bit different humor level in, in law enforcement and the military than today's college campuses. Exactly. Dustin learned that when he went up to talk at Seattle U. Oh my God. Oh, that you use that? That's brutal. Oh. Uh, he, I, I set up a speaker series before COVID um, for the film program for people to come in. We called it Lunch Bites because, you know, we, it's, it's hard to get college students out before or, or at night. And so we're like, hey, there's this period of time where there's no class and college students love free pizza so we'll bring in some free pizza worked out real well yeah have a, have a speaker series and it was going well until they closed down campus but dustin went in to talk and he said it wasn't even that bad but one of the kids was like i'm sorry could you please not use that word and i'm in the back just Die. laughing at him which yeah. probably didn't help I, him it, get it totally threw me off my game too because I, I was in the middle of you know talking about a thing and oh man i was just like oh yeah i guess that's a thing <laughs> uh <laughs> a, a lot has changed recently because i um, even myself as a recruiter i mean i had to be prepared when i'm walking down the hallway hey sorry come talk to my students i had to be able to talk to ninth grade 12th grade special education anything and not get up there and say Oh, well, none of you are here 17, so I don't have time for you. So I already knew how to do that. But now coming to college, it is still different because I'm with adults now and I still have to say, don't say this or don't laugh at that situation because it's sensitive to someone. You know, it may be funny to you where you come from or like you said, maybe in the orderly room around the first sergeant and commander. Right. But in this environment, it is completely not. It's not even something to comment on. You don't want to be associated with it, period. 
Yeah. Has anyone ever tried to ask you what dark military humor is like? Or I get that all the time from other screenwriters. Like, hey, what's dark humor like in law enforcement? Like, no, I don't, I've never been able to explain it. <laughs> no, I was actually very surprised at all. Because on my Zoom, I have U.S. Army retired logo on my shirt. I have my, my profile says everything. And I'm like, you know what? I did this. I'm not going to be ashamed. And it, my school is very receptive. I mean, I don't take over the lecture. But when a professor is talking about something, once again, if he or she asks me to elaborate on it, and people are very like, wow, you know, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. Because that's so much that people don't know about the Army because of movies. Right. You know, it's just, it's nice to be able to elaborate and answer questions and talk to people. And I'm still a part of what they call Army Partnership Recruiting Council. So I love supporting Recruiting Command. I love talking about how good the Army is. I believe it. Yeah. Do, do you have a, a favorite? Uh, is is there a, a good movie that you you think, okay, they, they kind of got some stuff right in there? Or? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I like Full Metal Jacket, so no, <laughs> that's not that's not a um, that's not a movie that I would want to tell someone. Hey, you think about joining the military? Check out this movie. <laughs> but that's one of my favorite dad and all, Major Pain. So, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta um, see this film. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think that's gonna fly. Actually, I did see one on recently, though, more on a more serious note. I wish I could think of it, that the guy did. He came back from Iraq. You guys may have seen Iraq Afghanistan. He was going through a whole lot. I mean, the guy was really on. God, I wish I could think of the name of that movie. It wasn't Long Way Home. I don't remember what it was. But um, it was definitely a realistic, touching movie. It wasn't over-the-top dramatic. Um, but, I mean, he went out. They went out to a bar, and some dude started joking with him something about being a killer or something, and yeah, it was very realistic, in my opinion. Hmm. All right, all right. When you remember, you gotta, you gotta send yeah, me. Yeah, I have to look back. I don't know if it's in my history on my phone because I use Cinemark, and a lot of times they have your purchase history. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just send me a text or email, and, okay. and we'll put it out for people. Okay. Um, I know that that you you know you got to get back to your studying, and you you have something else coming up, another engagement for school um so i'll ask you you know we've kind of touched along this in terms of advice for uh other veterans or soldiers getting out we also like to ask if you have any advice for family members who you know you're encouraging veterans you know it's okay to talk it's okay to say this is bothering me for family members if they want to talk or if a veteran approaches them do you have any advice how they could go about that conversation Listen, I mean, that's what we all say every day. Listen to what the person is saying to you. Um, as you see, I'm very, I speak quick, which is not always a good thing. I mean, I like it because I'm sincere. That's the way I operate with people. However, you might need to sit down and listen because um, there's assumptions that veterans have certain things, and that's not always true. Um, I started recently working, actually volunteering security at my church, and they just went right through the fingerprint process, da da da. Like, oh, you know, he's a veteran. Not necessarily true. You know, what I mean, other people waited on board after that stuff came back. Mine was like, oh yeah, he's a vet. He's just because you're a veteran does not mean you don't have emotions, you don't have feelings. Um, you know, obviously, someone comes to you and you're involved and say, hey, I'm thinking this. Oh man, you used to be a killer. No, no, no. Okay, listen to what the person is saying because we're dealing with so much in life these days that. Your, your career probably didn't 
It didn't um, prepare you for it. We're dealing with stuff going on that we never thought, I never thought in my lifetime I would see. I mean, wearing a mask around somebody every day and this and that, um, not being able to go places, not being able to socialize with family, with friends. It's just a lot. The wars here, the things there, it's a lot going on. So, you know, most recently the Afghanistan situation, I mean, that, that affected a lot of people. So bottom line is when someone comes, whether you've been in or not, you need to try to listen to them. I would say don't push them to, don't push them into a psych's office, psychiatrist chair right away. Listen to what they have to say. They may just want to talk to you. And you may come to a happy medium with that and you can follow up with that person. You know, definitely I would go back and follow up. Yeah, and you'd be amazed just that that first talk, being able to open up the spigot, you yeah. know, and, and let them realize, like, hey, that actually kind of felt good. Maybe I do want to take the next step. Um, it's an amazing. We saw it time and again while filming the movie. That first little spigot. I mean, some of the guys we talked to had never, ever, ever, ever talked about Vietnam in fifty years. It just been inside, and then, I mean, it was not going to lie and say it was the easiest thing I've ever done. It was intense, but man, it's, it's it was also just sitting and listening to another guy talk. It is not. It's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about time lately uh, and, and how, how much, how much we spend preparing for the next thing or, or, or waiting for the future, the next, the, the next piece to come along or talking about what we used to do. And instead of being really present with right now, which is the only, the only real piece we have right is this moment um and it i keep thinking about like what what kind of ways we can um structure our way of thinking about it to be more present uh, it's probably because i have little kids right now and so i'm really enjoying you know the part where my daughter's three and so i'm like really trying to have that because it's not ever coming back right so it's really it's really present for me and so uh i just wonder if, if maybe we couldn't get more people thinking about you know especially in the in the in the conversational piece to be really more present with the with the people around them um listening Dustin, is its own skill you know you hit the nail on the head Dustin I had to have my wife tell me several times that like I said I had three sons to serve and whenever we got to talking to them it's exciting to me to talk to veterans I'm like yeah me and my brothers we talk but my son would come home and say or he'll be on the phone hey this happened that oh yeah like mine right now is in recruiting. It's so hard when he starts to say something. I want to finish the conversation. I want to, man, I remember when I was acting first song, we this, we that. No, I've, the last six months a year, I've actually had to actually just be quiet and hear him tell me how his day went in recruiting, how his day went in the intel field, whatever the case is. One of them was in communications. I had to sit down because for me, when you mentioned Fort Hood, I'm automatically ready to, just take the conversation, tell you everything about it from the Ranchier Gate to the East Gate to a pizza shop on um, whatever. And once again, I've missed the boat so many times because I'm hyper. I love to talk. People, I believe, like to engage with me. But sometimes when I actually get quiet and let another person talk, you'd be surprised what comes out of that. And it's not bad things, but they just want to really share with you. They just want to finish their conversation. In the case of my son, my wife's like, honey, Every time he talks, you take over. So I had to really sit by and let him tell me his whole story and then respond, okay, yeah, that happened to me in recruiting as well. So, you know, like you said, when you engage with a veteran or family member, I would just, 
You know, if they start, oh, Fort Hood, oh, I saw that on TV. You know what? Just forget it. I, I don't even want to talk about it. So I've had to learn when you start talking about Fort Hood, let you say what you want to know about Fort Hood. Yeah. Then we can mention what's going on on the news or whatever. So. Yeah, it is. It, you know, we as humans have a have a innate desire to want to connect and say, "Oh yeah, I, I have that connection." But that uh, sometimes got to remember, like, let them finish their part. I, I'm I'm guilty of the same thing. Got the the Italian heritage in me that wants to use my hands and talk and, and like, okay, calm. <laughs> so. Um, you're talking about wearing masks it's totally unrelated this will be a funny story on the way out I was at an ATM a couple months ago car pulls up driver stays in the car someone else gets out of the driver's seat puts on a mask walks in the bank and I thought to myself you know what that would have been <laughs> there was a time that that would have looked really weird <laughs> yes yeah. yes uh, so now it's just normal every day mm-hmm. so at least for a couple more days, masks are going away in Washington and California on Friday. Yeah. So sorry, I'm already done in New Mexico. Uh, All right, leave, leave my life on Friday, which is on. I'm pretty excited about. Nice. All right. Well, Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was wonderful. Really enjoyed talking. Thank you for sharing your experiences uh, to the audience. Thank you for for being with us again. Um, you know, we're in our third season and you guys are still with us and we are very appreciative of that. We were two guys who, you know, I was talking to Keith earlier. We'd been on a podcast, one podcast before we started this and you guys have been with us through our, uh, our learning curve. <laughs> so you feel like that curve's over, Dave? I don't really feel like that curve's over. I was, you know, pretend, you know, I was pretending, uh, you let the, thank you. Uh, but you know thank you to the audience you know you can tell your friends uh, like i always say tell your enemies if they'll listen i don't really care you know give us a like and a follow whether you're listening apple podcasts or spotify or iHeartRadio, all of those thank you very much um wherever fine podcasts are sold yeah if you're listening to us somewhere give us a like (laughs) um but keith go ahead and stay on the line i'm going to go ahead and uh cut this off dustin any jokes to bring us out that i can cut off and edit to make uh uh yeah why don't i start telling you a knock knock joke and then you'll just turn the thing off and then i don't have to think of an answer and i will giggle every time i do that sounds great you've been listening to the know their story podcast if you made it this far we must be doing something right let us know by subscribing to our channel and think about sitting down with the veterans in your life because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation not the end